ask questions, and book lessons at LessonFace.com. The Meet Your Mentor podcast is produced by LessonFace. I'm here at Lesson Face with Ron Perlito, and he is our Teacher of the Month. Congratulations on that, Ron. Thank you. A couple background notes on Ron. He's been teaching with Lesson Face for a little over a year, started with us in January 2016, and he has been teaching for over 20 years outside of Lesson Face, Um, so we're very happy to have such an experienced teacher such as Ron on our site, and he is a teacher for voice, piano, and composition. So, Ron, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to start playing in the first place? What has been your experience with these instruments? Well, I started very young, which, which helps me as a teacher because if I tell parents, you know, it's good to start young, it's, uh, I've got something to back it up. But my parents made me start young because I, I come from a very musical family. I grew up around music. My dad listened to operas uh, every Saturday afternoon. He uh, was a professional musician, so was my mother. They both were from New York. We lived in Ohio at the time, in Columbus, and but they had been in New York and both were working musicians. She sang on Broadway, some modeling and things like that. She was in a hit show, actually, way back. It was called Pins and Needles, and then it became a hit, and then they replaced her with better-known singers and offered her to go on the touring group. I guess it's a lot like it still works today. And the, the person she was replaced with was an up-and-coming young singer called Barbara Streisand, which is kind of the funny... <laughs> she never liked Barbara Streisand after that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so the, it became a big hit uh, after that and, and everything. Uh, and my father was... Uh, his father also, my grandfather, he had a band, uh, like a big band, so cool. I mean, before he died, he had these... You know, we saw these little 78s and so forth. Uh, there he was. So my father grew up in that, and then he did. But he eventually decided to go become a doctor uh, when World War II came out, and they moved uh, away from New York, and that was the end of both of their music careers. I always watched my father and thought maybe you know he made good money, but I'm not so sure that was the best choice. So that was kind of my inspiration, honestly, because I, I saw I saw what happened. I saw the I saw the history, the heritage. I knew that there were, he still had, you know, people he knew in the music industry and all that. And even my great-grandfather in Italy wrote operas and so forth. So long musical heritage, decided to make music my career in high school and got very serious about piano. Uh, Voice was just uh, uh, natural because I was in the choir and the swing choir and so forth at school. Um, Clarinet was really my best instrument. But when I decided I wanted to make a career out of it, that's when I switched to making piano my main focus because I thought there wasn't as much I could do with the clarinet. Yeah, that's really great, keeping music in the family for a long time. And like you said, it makes it very easy to encourage your younger students because they can see exactly where your love comes from and how it's continued on. And it starts early on. It really does. My parents would not let me stop, too, because when, when I was younger, I wasn't real crazy about it. It wasn't until about junior high that I started to really get serious. Then, then they couldn't get me away from it. I mean, like in high school, I was practicing all the time. And back then, they took me to two lessons. I, took, I had a piano lesson for classical. It was like a real straight classical guy. And then, then I went to more of a pop jazz guy. And, you know, it was like it was like there were two, other, two separate worlds back then. We're talking back in the, the, the 70s and early 80s. It was a lot different than now. It was like the 
they didn't each side didn't consider the other side legit or something. I, I love it all. I love all I love all styles, all genres. I I embrace all styles. My music collection has always been very eclectic. What led you to be a music instructor versus anything else in the music industry? Did you try your hand at different jobs in the music industry or how did that pan out for you? I've done a lot of things. I really didn't expect to be making teaching my main thing, which I have. But I found out that I was really, really good at it. My first real music uh, position was I got involved with a, a, a band, uh, like a backup band to a, a singer that she was like a one-hit wonder in the early 80s. But it was phenomenal. I learned so much in that group. I couldn't believe I was in that group. But my main thing I was really interested in was writing and getting some things uh, published and so forth and, and out there. So I had the, that, that song that she did, uh, because of the B-side, they had 45s back then. I don't know if you're old enough to know what that was. But they used to have singles on little tiny records, you know. I got a B-side on that. and then, uh, But then I had, I had some things out in different genres and stuff. But the, uh, I, I guess my break, if you could call it, was within Christian music because I had some, some uh, demo in that genre that I had sent along, uh, actually with a, a referral of another friend. So that was, really, that was it, that's why I went to Nashville, was because of that. Uh, and so I became involved with a publishing company there, I was on a right of first refusal, stopped playing in any bands or anything, delivering pizza, doing the Nashville thing, you know, and had a few minor cuts and so forth, but I got involved in the industry Really found out what was going on, uh, got involved with uh, the whole worship leading movement, and then the then I, I put an act together, basically, program, and my first wife and I, we went all over the country, our own cassettes, they weren't CDs yet. We built up a big following, it was a male, and all that stuff, everything that, you know, it's like I was an indie artist before the term indie artist was cool. And so we went all over for, for two years, solid. Uh, it was amazing, I couldn't believe we were doing it. Fast forward, we started to get a little older, we had our first baby, started working at a church. So then my next phase was really working in churches as worship leaders and so forth. During that time was when I started teaching. That's when I started up on, hey, I really like this. Hey, I'm really good at this. Hey, people are really, you know. So at my last church job, which was here in Arizona, it was a big church, and I was the music director of the church, and I also taught in the junior high and high school. I taught music. I started teaching out of my home, and it got to the point where, now wait a minute. I got all these people that want to take lessons. And it got to be economically and time-wise and purpose-wise, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm done with the church thing. So we had a very, you know, I was there for four years at that last church, we ended it, and I, and I was off to the races. And I had several students out of my home and did recording, like I'm doing now. Went on for two or three years. Long story short, my wife left me my entire life fell apart. That's it, I'm done. No more music forever and ever. I just need to make a lot of money and fix my life. That was pretty much, you know, how I felt. I, I was making a living at recording and music and teaching and everything for two or three years after that. But then it was, then it was over. So I stopped, moved to Phoenix, got a corporate job, made more money than ever in my life, <laughs> but was miserable. And I went back to what I did when I saw my father, and he's, you know, passed away now. My new wife encouraged me, you need to do it, Ron, you need to get back. So I said, okay. But I'm going to focus on the one thing I like the best, the one thing I can do the best, which is the teaching. Now I'm out on my own, and I have uh, about 50 students, and several of them are from, uh, from Lesson Face, which is a beautiful supplement uh, to what I'm doing. So I'm very happy. That's how I ended up being teaching, and I still do the other stuff on the side. But the main thing 
It was a teaching. That's really great. That's a huge circle back to music there. That's awesome to hear. Yes, it is. And it's like a synergy. My teaching keeps me fresh and on top of things for my performance. And the performance keeps me up to date. I mainly listen to classical and jazz music on my own for fun. But I'm kept up to date with the current pop and Christian music and stuff that people are listening to because of what the students are wanting. And I hear that and I know what it is. And that kind of keeps me current, you know. But it's, but it's got to be realistic. I'm not, I'm not 23 years old. I'm not, some, I'm not trying to be some hip dude. I am what I am. And it works. I'm sure your students appreciate that you can learn something from them as well. Yeah, and uh, I make sure the parents know that as well. And I, I think they see the genuineness. They see that I really love it. Uh, and one of the reasons that this is the main thing is because when we were performing and traveling and going out, you don't see the long-term results. Sometimes I'll say to a kid or adult even, if they've been struggling, hey, man, you know what? Six months ago, you couldn't play Twinkle Twinkle. You couldn't tell me where Middle C was. And I love seeing that progress. And I love seeing the, the growth in confidence and it's amazing in adults, too. It's, it's, it's almost more striking in adults. Kids have a natural freedom, but adults are very shy at first, especially when they're singing. I always encourage them to participate in the, in the recitals and so forth. So I really enjoy seeing that progress. I feel like I'm really giving back. I'm really contributing. Education in the arts just elevates society. I mean, on a big macro scale. I mean, I'm doing my little part somehow. I think it's important. You're mentioning putting on recitals and encouraging everyone to participate, which I, of course, can relate to myself as a young five-year-old. My teacher made me go up there as well every year. So have you found a way to incorporate that with your lesson face teaching at all? My lesson face students are adults right now. I encourage them to participate and we do a video link up. So now that I'm on my own, we can do that. So uh, we just had our first recital and it was very successful. I had two uh, video people coming on screen and we have it at a, at a nearby little church. It was so cool. <laughs> and so I, I'm planning on having probably three this time. And I don't know if my new one, I've got a new one that I'm meeting tomorrow night uh, on lesson face from Singapore. Yes, the other side of the world. So my meeting with her is at 8 o'clock tomorrow night, and she's going to be 8 in the morning for her the next day. So that'll be very, very interesting. So we'll see how that goes. So it was, it's just an introductory lesson. I hope she commits. But anyway, the point is, it's very exciting, and it, it adds excitement to everyone else. All the local people are very excited to see that I've got even some of my remote people and uh, one of them is an excellent songwriter, a tired tennis pro from Georgia. And he sang and played some of his own compositions. And I have another singer uh, that's going to participate this time from Michigan, another one from Washington and so forth. So it's very exciting. And even through Lesson Face, it's important to encourage the performance aspect and get people uh, experienced with that. And they appreciate it as well. From doing recitals in person for years, as I'm sure you have, to now doing some remote recitals. Are there any major differences or anything that's good or bad about it? Anything you like better? Well, I try to make it a, a, an interesting program. I remember when I was little, everybody just sat there and waited to their own little darling cherub, and then, you know, they would just want to get out of there. But I, I want to make it a, an interesting program. So now we have my, I have so many students, we're going to split it in half and do two shows. But both of them are going to have young and old, 
and they're both going to be broadcast, and they're both going to have some of my lesson face remote people and make it a good program. So if there's any specific section of music that you feel very strongly about, kind of your forte, um, why don't you walk us through a brief lesson on that? What I would like to do is share a little bit about my practical theory that I introduce for all, all piano players, a little bit with the, with the vocalists as well, but definitely the piano players and certainly the songwriting and composition students. A lot of folks don't understand how they, they, you say music theory and they think, oh, yuck, it's a lot of stuff to memorize. And then, you know, I make it exciting and I let them know because I apply it to the music. And I say, look, if you understand music theory, you understand particularly how chords work and how they interact. You can play anything. And I say, you know, it, it's one thing to play by ear, but if you know what the chords are, you're not just guessing at what those notes are, or what the melody is, or, or what anything is, because you know how the sequence of chords are going to work. Early on, with everyone, even children, I always introduce them to basic one, four, five chords, uh, show them what inversions are, the different voicings. It's about using all available options. So when you're playing something, the, the correct way for the lazy musician, the lazy musician would always look at whatever the easiest way to go from one chord to the next. So the lazy musician's guide to chord progressions is to move as few and as little as possible from one note to the next. It's easier to, do, to call things either top-heavy, bottom-heavy, or balanced. So if you have a chord, let's say a C chord, in root position, that's C, E, G, every other note. You flip it up to first inversion, you put the C on top, now it's called bottom heavy because the bottom interval is closer, the E and the G, and you have a bigger gap at the top. Then you go to the next inversion, which is called the second inversion in regular music theory, but I call it top heavy because now the closer interval is at the top, the E and C, and you have a G down at the bottom. So when you're playing, it's more practical to think about whether it's bottom heavy or top heavy. I even have a different fingering for top heavy. It's one, two, five, and the bottom heavy is one, three, five. But there's all kinds of things that go with this business of bottom heavy, top heavy, and parallel, and how you move from one chord to the next. Then it's applied to what they're playing or what they want to play, and they'll come to me with a song they want to play, and they kind of tinkered around on my ear, and I'd say, okay, well, now I'm going to show you how the chords work and what they are, and it's like, oh, is that all it is? And, you know, it ends up, it's like the light bulb goes off, you know, when you apply it. Cool. Well, it was very nice talking with you, Ron, and learning a bit more about your background and what's kept you focused on music and your experience with Lesson Face. Yes, and I really like Lesson Face. I'd like to have more Lesson Face students. I, I love how uh, you take care of all the behind the scenes, the billing and everything, and uh, all I do is show up and, you know, <laughs> do the lesson. Yeah, thank you very much. We'll catch up with you next time. You can find Ron on Lesson Face. He'd love to give you some lessons. Very good. Keep up the good work. I hope it's going well with everyone else as well. Ask questions and book lessons at LessonFace.com. 
The Meet Your Mentor podcast is produced by Lesson Face.